Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So what can happen is really is important for me to have a deep committed relationship with whoever that CEO is because they need to start to engage in their own transformation and see the power of it and have other people start commenting like, wow, the CEO is showing up differently. What is he doing? And then you go in and say, all right, everyone who didn't hire me or sign up for this, we're all going to do this thing together. Right. Because otherwise you end up um, getting like the CEO uses their team to vet you. And that never goes well. No, no. You need to have the CEO like being a very strong sponsor of something like that. And I really respect the people, as you're talking about, that would choose to. It's like in, in government, like I'm a check and balance on their executive power. That's what the coach is doing. It's like a judiciary in some sense. And, and in a way to see that the company is living its values. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazny. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now, so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Welcome to The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashazdeh, and today we have a very, very, very special guest. I have, I have gotten to grapple with this man on and off the mats, our, our very own, the very special guest of Nathaniel Shockin. Welcome to the show, my friend. I'm very happy to be here, my friend. Thank uh, you for having me. I'm so pumped to have you. Um, guys, a little housekeeping. The format of the show is simple. We are bringing together changemakers from all, over, from all over the world who are creating greatness by living their passions. And um, we are not short of neither greatness nor passion with Nathaniel. So it's really cool to have you, man. I've been like pumped for a while. I'm like, oh man, I got to get Nathaniel to, to do the show. We're going to have so much cool shit to talk about. So thank you. We should have recorded our, our last conversation on core values. So I'm looking forward to this one for the record. I know, I know man. This is like, uh, this is like what, what we're born to do. So I'm telling you right now, this is like a crazy treat that we get to sit here with Nathaniel, who is like a, a guru of so much. Um, I'm going to give you a little background. Like I always tell people that I, I don't like to do the formal bio, so I'm going to give you my version. 
Uh, Nathaniel is an entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of Polystra. Did I get that right? Polystra. Polystra, excuse me. Polystra. Um, And he's a black belt, mindfulness expert, and he's a coach. He's really into this thing called Forum, which we're going to talk about in detail today. And he started a thing called uh, the Awakening Leadership Forum. And I just wrote this because I'm like, did your high performance flow badass? Like, that's (laughs) like, like, you're all about elevation. And it's interesting as I was talking to, I think it was like to one of my friends over the weekend. I'm like, so what's your show all about? I said, you know, it's interesting. As an entrepreneur, you would think this show is about business. And I said, I actually don't think my show is about, I mean, business is one modality we go down into and we talk about it. I said, I actually think my show is all about being super fucking high performance. And there's all these different ways you get there. And there's all these ingredients that are part of it to live this like self-actualized existence. And so it was funny is when I was thinking of our show, I'm like, dude, this is like, you're the epitome of what my show is about. And so welcome, man. I'm so glad to have you. That's awesome. I appreciate that, Darius. Yeah. So, man, if you wouldn't mind just giving everyone a little bit of background of what is Palaistra, what is this Awakening Leadership Forum? Like, what is it that you're doing right now? Because you and I both like came, you came from working at Stegen and starting your own coaching practice. And now you're working with some really, really like unbelievable people who are just building some incredible businesses and your whole goal is to really affect change by doing these things around core values forum really elevating people's performance but would you mind kind of giving our audience a little bit of background on yourself and what it is that you're doing right now yes for sure what's so interesting in your book is you have the phrase um, that organizations don't have core values people have core values and I love that because the whole book, in a sense, is about how do you take it off the wall? And that's after I left Stegen as an executive coach for a one-year program, I thought, well, how do you build these leadership development practices into a business? What if business could become a place where people went to grow? And how many people would really say that? The place they go to work makes them a better person. For me as a martial artist, the only way I know how to do that is to have it be a permanent part of the business a community of practice. Like you don't get better going to a weekend training. You have to train every week, if not every day. Totally. So where I start is at the top um, because obviously, you know, an organization is a mirror for the leader who lead, leads it. And as the leader goes, so goes the team. So when people ask me, do you coach executives? I'd say, well, yes, although I prefer to coach executive teams because the best way to get each individual executive to their next level is to up-level the whole team dynamic. And that has a lot to do with how you put core values into action as well. So it's all about, it's all about team dynamics. And actually the, the best analogy you can see for this these days is on Netflix, the, the last dance came out. Oh, and so I was like, yes, this is a great illustration. I'm not familiar with this. What is the last dance? Yeah, it's a great illustration of team dynamics. So you have Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. And they allowed video cameras um, in the last year they were together to be behind doors with them. And the, the premise is simple. You know, with the old coach, Michael Jordan won every single possible MVP high scoring award you could think of. And the team itself had still never won an NBA championship. So enter Phil Jackson, the Zen coach. And the whole strategy previously was just get Michael the ball. Right. But Phil Jackson as a Zen coach was all about team flow. 
and mindfulness. And he brought in the, the triangle, which was more zone. And of course, they won three championships in a row after that, because that was what was required to utilize the full potential of the team. You cannot run the basketball. So pass the ball to the person who has the high percentage shot and you'll win as a team every time. So that describes the kind of team flow uh, and the breakdown of individual egos that um, can really be powerful for uh, a team performance. That's so interesting because really like when you were saying that just now, I was thinking around the power of synergy, right? So it's it, like Jordan might be, might be as good literally as three players. Let, let's just assume, let's say he's literally as good as three people combined. Like if you put him three on one, he'd win. Let's just say that. <laughs> right. There's still what, six guys on the court, right? Am I? Am I what, five. They talk, five. They talk about five fingers on a hand. Sorry. Basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It shows you, I don't know much about sports, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't actually either. I'm a martial artist, but right. it's fascinating. So, right. So you got 10. So, so there's five guys on the team. That just means that you have that opportunity where if I have one plus one plus one equals five, right? Not one plus one plus one equals three. And that's by them leveraging each other's strengths to your point, having high, a high percentage, you know, shot percentage when it's, and when the ball's at a certain point in the court, and this is about a team being in flow, right? Knowing each other's next moves, working in synergy with each other, co completing each other's sentences. And it's really interesting that that you when you started with what you were talking about, what, like what came to mind for me was, I have a really hard time with the with the control, you know, with kind of the old school way of thinking about business, which is I need people to show up to produce for me, and that's the starting, and then the ending is, oh, maybe if there's time left over, I'll help develop their skills, right? I'm right. like, that's crazy, right? That that's like that's. There's no other high-performing organization in the world that does it that way. In fact, it's like you go to any sports team, military group, you go down the list of people that have to come and like really create crazy high value, and none of them could do that if they operated that way. Yet in business, like that's the like it's literally like poor training, throw them to the wolves. When they sink, let them die. Bring someone else in, do it again, right? And, yeah. And so for me. And, and you're talking about someone, when I say all this, dude, I'm guilty of doing it, right? Like I, I learned by, by, by just because I was- You were very self-effacing at the top of the book as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm like, I have no ego, right? Like I like to win. Like that's yeah. it. Like, like I like to win. Like, I, I'm, I have no ego and I'm the most competitive motherfucker there is on earth, right? So well, like, and one of the best competitive advantages you can have is the notion of the double bottom line, that business grows when people grow. Because right. they're the ones who are either living your core values or not. They're the ones knocking down targets or not. And so it, there's the excuse that people make of like, well, what if we invest in our people and they leave? And the response is, well, what if you don't and they stay? Yeah. So it's, you can only it's, win by by focusing on people. Well, and so I think here's 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 the the paradigm that I think is majorly shifting. I think that we're probably in the early majority at this point, maybe. I don't think it's early adopters. And in some ways, I, the work you're doing is super early adopter, but like definitely doing forum in a company structure is early adopter. But this idea that performance matters and culture matters and developing your people, that's not, that's not, you know, that's Peter Drucker, right? So this is not a new idea, but I think that there's this, the command and control style of building value is an old habit that comes from the beginning of the industrial revolution that's still here and still entrenched in a lot of businesses. 
And and when we look at this co- this commentary around, let's say values, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you right now, and I'm the guy that wrote a book about core values. I cringe at the word a little bit, mm-hmm. which I'm explaining to you why in this, right now. I cringe. It's like what you used to hear about the word character. You have courses on character or something. It's like a little cringeworthy. Yeah, it's 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 that it's misunderstood. It's it's utilized improperly, and then people start to talk about culture and bullshit. And it's it the real issue is the HR folks are the ones that have, have really owned it, and it's not from the necessary. Their selling point to the CEO is, well, we're going to get more performance out of it, but they don't say how. They just yeah. say, look, that's what you're going to get if you do this fun stuff, this this meaningful stuff. And my position is to go the other direction. And you don't know this about me, but why I have taken the road I've taken on this is that I ha- felt like I had to prove it to people I worked with in business. This really worked. And these were more of command and control style managers, people that were old school in an old school financial services business. And, and this is the mortgage industry in general. And this was multiple times over many partnerships I had. I always felt like I had, I had to prove it. And I realized quickly, if I can show by operationalizing this, that they'll get it faster. And once I learned how to operationalize this stuff, then I had carte blanche to do the things we're talking about, which was the stuff, the development work, the, the training, the practices, because I already produced ROI right off the bat by operationalizing the stuff quickly. And then I got carte blanche to do the stuff that I knew you had to do, which was much more time uh, consuming, much more of a longer term investment. And so I think that that's where, when I look at what you're doing around this idea of forum, and I want to explain to the audience what forum is, because I think that the dojo, when you talk about dojo, it's such a great analogy for it. Because mm-hmm. I think that the com- if I start to tell you that I, th- I built forum all throughout my company, it was a classic forum, which is better than not having a forum, but it's, it's not exactly what you do, which is five steps ahead. When I explain that, they're like, oh, that sounds cool, but okay, whatever. You know, the, uh, It's a group of people getting together and learning with each other, right? Mm-hmm. You take it a way full step further, which is, and I'd like for you to talk about that, and then we have a question I want to jump to here. But when you think of the idea of, when you look at organizations and it starts at the leaders at the top, and then you want to bring these practices, you want to bring these performance development standards, and you want to really take elevate the organization and the leadership to the highest level possible. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. 
You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now, and let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you approach it with the idea of, let's say, values or forum, what is it in your mind when you're like, hey, I'm going to walk into this organization and I have them at A and I'm going to take them to Z? What is that process when we include forum? Yeah. So, I mean, the simplest way we could talk about what we do at Palaistra is in-house coaching. So we say in-house coaching for leaders, teams, and organizations, which means that it's for the whole company. So everyone is partnering up and practicing week to week um now what we can i interrupt when you say practicing what does that like what does that look practicing what right yeah exactly practicing what well because we're starting at the top with the ceo let's talk about michael jordan again for a minute like what does it take to go from that kind of old model of command and control where you're an authoritative leader to actually empowering synergy that is much like saying, well, let's move from a dictatorship or, you know, sometimes we have enlightened dictatorships, but how do you really create a democracy? How do you really create interdependence or synergy on a team? And it's the same thing that you um, have to do when you take your core values off the wall. The team itself would have to be committed to that kind of teamwork as a value, which means the leader would have to be leading by holding that value themselves. 
Now, how do you know whether it's not just an espoused value, but it actually aligns with your actual behavior? That requires you to look in the mirror and walk the talk. Now, there's a few ways you can do that. One is you reflect yourself, but the next and probably more important way is for you to ask your teammates to speak their truth to you. And that's in martial arts, what we call getting on the mat. So actually the first toolkit we often work with is giving and receiving feedback, which we call perspective taking. So that that's the get on the mat, the rumbling as Brene Brown talks about it, but the authentic exchange of feedback. Um, the, there's Harvard uh, did difficult conversations. And then basically after 20 years of research, they found that one thing was so important, which was that it didn't matter if you taught people how to give feedback, you also had to teach them how to receive it. Um, and so that was so important. They wrote a whole other book after 20 years called Thanks for the Feedback. So that's the first thing, full stop, that we help executive teams do really well is conflict because there's that whole um, higher level of trust on the other side of conflict when you do it well. So that's really, the first thing. Yeah, That's really, really interesting, man. Sorry to interrupt again, but but mm -hmm. you know, I, want, I don't want to move past this. This idea of receiving feedback, right? And so I was talking to, on Friday, we had this woman, Cheryl Beth Kukler, who's a, a scaling up coach on the show. And she was my scaling up coach. And I told her that I always love to get feedback. And, I, and, and this is something I think I've taken for granted because I've realized lots of people don't, they don't want, especially CEO or maybe someone less enlightened, bigger ego. Who are you to tell mm -hmm. me what to do? Who are you to tell me what, like, why the fuck does your opinion matter? Right. And you know what it took for me to get here. I don't need to hear it. Like most people have become entrepreneurs because they don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> you know, like you're right. They don't want to work for anyone else. Yeah. And then, and now they got their, you know, so-and-so employee coming up and saying, well, you know, Darius, when you do this, it's really bothers me in this way. Right. And especially, you know, and I'm, and I'm picking, like, I'm not saying that's the right way to give feedback, but that is probably what other people hear, no matter what you're saying to them is blah, blah, blah. Why are you giving me feedback? I don't need to hear your stupid thought. Right. So walk yeah. through, how do you teach people to receive it? How do you try to give it? What are some thoughts around that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think in the first place, that, that's what we're taught in business school. It's all outward focused, which is great. That's the outward phase of the hero's journey. Go knock something down, go accomplish a great feat, build a great business physically. But the whole part of the hero's journey that has to do with going into the belly of the beast or into the cave, that's the confrontation you have with yourself. And it's a metaphor for um, going into your own unconscious. To put it humorously, the, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> so aware, awareness is painful. Awareness can be painful. And so again, back to the bulls. Think of the egos on that team in the 90s, Rodman, Pippen, Jordan. All of these guys, how do you break down the ego? Well, it's very simple. It's through feedback because feedback is the mechanism of growth. That's what creates awareness, but it can be very painful. So that, again, is why I would teach people to receive feedback first before even how to give it. And how you do it is you take the same feedback formula, whichever one you like, uh, normally has to do with um, stating what the situation is. And then objectively, what are the facts? Not with any any kind of judgments or subjective input there, but just as a video camera would capture it, what are the facts? Then you separate that from how it impacts you. What's subjectively? How do you feel about it? And then uh, this is where values comes in. So interesting. Why do people complain? Because they're committed to something. They care about something. So our, our negative emotions, if we're frustrated or upset, it's because there's a value we hold that isn't being met. 
So if I'm upset because you're late, what core value does that imply that I hold? Respect. And that's something, yeah, respect or efficiency or connectedness. And that's the interesting thing too. It could be a different value depending on the person, but it is a value. And then from there you go to what to do differently. You make a request. So the only thing you do differently with receiving feedback is you use it as a form of inquiry. You ask questions to the other person and they get to speak. They have freedom of speech to tell you what they really think and you draw the feedback out of them. And the, the commitment that you have in that practice is that you don't get to talk. Right. You just mirror back what you hear them saying to their satisfaction until they feel they fully expressed their perspective. Right. So this is around conscious communication, active listening, all these, these great practices. And, and what's a very funny, powerful practice. Yeah. And it's hard, right? And it's very hard. Yes. I'll tell you, like doing this show has made my active listening much better because I have like, like I can't, I can't interrupt guests. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, my natural instinct is to like step on people's toes because I like, I want to be autobiographical. I want to start talking. I want to tell stories. I want to, you know, I want to like, I want to do the things that we do unconsciously to your point when we're in rooms. I've been in rooms with people that all are like, like run over each other. And it's yeah. like, and the more I've become aware of just the, the the lack of active listening as a as a as a mentor to them, I'd say, look, guys, we keep running over each other. Let's let's take a step back because you can't even have, to your point, I can't even have, you know, this type of other active tr- like leadership training around receiving or giving feedback if I'm not even actively in the room listening to what people are saying, right? Mm-hmm. And so, how do you have a team practice active listening? That's the question. Yeah, they just have to do it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, dojo, right? Rolling in the mats. So it's it's funny. It 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 it, it seems so obvious, right? When you say it, it's like, well, yeah, like why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you have your team roll in the mats with each other and practice these things that when it's not a heated moment, when it's not a confrontational situation, like, and and that's coming from a like where you don't have a horse in the race, right? So I can create these scenarios where they're opening up and talking to each other in a, in a safe environment. And to your point, it becomes a practice and it's something that, that then when those situations truly happen, which is, this is all military, right? If you look at like special ops, these guys have been in so many fucked up situations, self-produced that when they actually end up in them, like they've already been there. They've already ran through some version of these situations over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. All with the intention of when they're on the battlefield, that they're not they're not running into something new. They're running into a version of something they've already done many times over. And, and yeah, yeah Jocko Willink is a great example of that with extreme ownership. And right. he's a jujitsu black belt. So he talks about how leadership skills are like jujitsu techniques. You get better as you practice them. And we kind of have three levels there too. We again we start with the conscious communication or feedback stuff before even we go to just basic coaching skills and peer coaching. Um, but, you know, you start with what you said, which is a, you know, a low level of tension, where it's just, it's not about another person. It's um, just a, a scenario, someone who's not, in, it's not about so, someone who's in the room. Um, then you can go to role-playing that because then you get some live resistance but then the third level is you actually can practice bringing the live tensions from the business. So you're using the dojo or the coaching space to solve the tensions that are most important 
for the business to unlock itself and grow. So ideally, we are bringing the, the tensions from the business into the mat space so that we're using that as kind of the, the action learning curriculum for us to develop our coaching skills. That's so awesome, man. And so when you look at organizations you're doing this with and leaders you're doing this with, like how long do you, I mean, obviously there's some instant gratification that they probably get, right? And, and I find this with most different, you know, training modalities and or, you know, coaching. Generally speaking, if the coach is good, you're going to get some instant ROI. Um, and then it's just a question of, of where it develops from there. So when you're looking at your different people you're working with and the teams you're working with, what do you start to see happen in the groups as their skill sets increase and as they start to develop and as they start to scale? Because that's that's where I look at this stuff is, is this stuff, it can be really important when you're small, but, but when you're small, a lot of the times it's more of a family dynamic anyway. And, and people tend to like have a little more flexibility because they're interacting with each other more. And as long as there's not toxicity in the room, generally speaking, there's less, there's more room for error, I guess where I find that this stuff gets really, really poignant, if you will, is when there's high, high growth scale involved because you don't mm -hmm. have the time to, to nurture the relationships the same way and you don't have the time to nurture the growth in the same way. And you're kind of, you're kind of building the airplane while you're flying. And so, yeah, true. so yeah, that's where I always look at, even my book, my book was written to fix that problem, which is like, well, it's not going to fix, I mean, you're going super deep into these like, practices and, and, and really pr 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 producing a high growth group and executive team and management team. And that could, I think that's how you get ultra scale. My thing is like, before you get there, you got to define what you meet, what you're all about. And then at least there's some level of accountability you can use that to, to then do the work we're talking about that you're talking about. And I, and I would honestly tell you, I never even got there with my organizations. The best I got to was building the, the foundation around values and being religious around holding people accountable to that. And the, I, I felt like the one missing link was the deep interpersonal rolling on the mats development. So, so yeah, like I, I know it's a bunch of comments and statements there, but how do you see this kind of transpiring and rolling out as, and, and how are these higher growth organizations utilizing this stuff? Yeah. Well, I think scale is an important word because there, there's a tension between quantity and quality when you're scaling, like if you can scale quickly, the quality goes down sometimes. So um, where we start is again, in-house coaching means you have a slot where everyone is showing up a group coaching slot to practice the toolkit. And so in the first place, the culture is a living thing and your culture is made up of your values. And if you don't practice the behaviors that are underneath your core values then you won't get better at them, the culture won't come alive. So some of the companies we're working in, we start just with the executive team and kind of get them norming around the feedback stuff. Ironically, further down the organization, once we slot that in, there can be less tension. And so they get quicker to practicing tools like active listening or grow coaching, or they partner up and practice with the drama triangle and they make mindset shifts from victim to creator or you know, other tools like the work, which is a very advanced form of self-reflection. Um, and it's interesting to see how sometimes uh, the, the younger employees or the newer employees in the organization really take to it even quicker than, than leadership in some sense. Um, and, and what's really important, I'll give put a little data behind this. You were just talking about how do you draw that kind of dotted line between business performance and 
focusing on developing people. And there's a couple data points that really land the plane for me, like rubber meets the road. And one of them is, is what Gallup just put out a book on called It's the Manager, which is that in, in, whether an employee reports feeling engaged, 70 per, over 70% of that is based upon the manager that they have. So if you think about that for a minute, like what a huge component that is to the performance of the organization. And furthermore, if, if someone doesn't feel engaged um, at, at work, there's a, one study that said they're 1% likely to feel fulfilled in their life. So if we want to talk about how important it is that people have a sense of community at work, I think that illustrates the point pretty well. And then secondly, what about the manager? There's two data points that are really interesting. One is that 80% of people say that they go to work and their boss has a blind spot that they all talk about behind his or her back, but that they don't communicate directly to that manager. That happens to coincide with another data point, which is that, I think this was in one of the HBRs um, earlier in the year, which is that of all the people who say they are self-aware when they're actually assessed on self-awareness, 20% of people are actually self-aware. So when you talk about a gap between your walk and your talk, and that's the same, it lines up interestingly with the 80% of people who are talking about their boss. Well, so for me, like it's not just practicing coaching, it's again, the feedback stuff and, and building coherence, like empowering people to, so that feedback flows up. And so that you are looking, not just looking in the mirror yourself, but you're empowering other people to tell you where there are gaps between your walk and your talk as a leader. That's so that's, I love all that, man. Uh, so I had some scenarios where I, and where I learned the hard way when you don't have, especially as you start to bring in, I don't say higher caliber, but I guess bigger resumes, right? Mm -hmm. When you start bringing in really big resumes, there's a, there's usually a lot of ego around built around that. And, and, this is where I actually realized there's a lot of ego on two sides of the fence, the people coming in and those that are uh, uh, like bringing those people in. Right. So, mm -hmm. so, so let's just say I would, I'm going to make up a hypothetical situation. Let's say you're, let's say you're really trying to professionalize your company, which happens at a certain size, right. Especially once you get a mid market, you know, you know, nine figure company, you're going to start to professional, you've got to professionalize it because most companies that, you know, 100 million plus companies, they want to become a billion dollar company, right? That's kind of what, that's the way the entrepreneurs and CEOs for sure think. Like, it's very rare that they don't think that way. So as they start to hit that, you know, one, two, $300 million, and, and I know most people are listening and they're like, well, you know, the, the, I would kill to have that, right? The reality is, is you have a whole new set of problems. I always joke that every level, there's all these different sets of problems that you didn't even realize existed until you get to the next level. And so right. one, of the, one of the things I learned at that level was, that you start to bring in these really accomplished people who have strong egos and they have huge, huge experience. And the people that are there might feel like they're being diminished because you have these big, big top guns coming in. Well, how do you get them to play nice? And let's say you start to try to have these types of open conversations around authenticity and around, you know, who you truly are and how you show up. And, and these really, we're talking about, you know, conscious, conscious leadership, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, you know, this is Marshall Goldsmith saying, what got, what got you here won't get you there, right? And and if you're coming from a command and control industry, there's a lot of CEOs that would 
pounce on you for like being your authentic self, right? Yeah. Showing weakness, showing vulnerability. Absolutely. There's no fucking room for vulnerability in this environment, right? And these folks come in and you're asking that of them. We, they- we've, yeah, we've specifically had one client who completely disrupted his team when I came in to uh, work with uh, his culture. And it it worked initially. It cleared the space for some very big people from top automotive companies to come in. And they had exactly the mindset you're talking about. Now, if the company is already at scale, to come back to speaking to that for a minute, and, and you have not scaled the culture and the skill set because you have a dojo where everyone is practicing to get to the level where they can have these types of conversations, it can be disastrous to expect people who have not practiced enough to suddenly be capable of having these tough conversations. Uh, the point I'm making though, is not that the group that comes in, it's not that the existing team has it. I'm saying that let's say the existing team ha- does, has been practicing and has that, that trust and communication. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're bringing in, I have a friend who hired the, like one of the presidents of Starbucks to come run his company. Let's say I mm-hmm. bring in the president of Starbucks to be the president of my company and I'm the CEO and right away, we're, we're noticing some posturing, a little bit of ego, which usually to get to that level, you got to have some of that, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I read a quote the other day, which I thought was really funny, or it was a it was a TEDx talk I saw, and it was a guy talking about how he interviewed the CEO and founder of Avis. And he said, you know what the number one, said, what is the number one rarest, it was like the rarest commodity in the world or something like that. And he said, it's a high level leader who has no ego. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's the rarest, really the rarest animal, you know, so well, that's the good to great, the level five leader right there, like personal right. humility and professional drive, that paradox. It's very rare. But the world, I think, is asking that of the of people now. It's saying, yes, because uh, we have this other paradigm that's happening, which is a doubling down on autocratic leadership on this, you know, nationalism you know, and all that's red, right? That's the other side of the spectrum. That's like command and control. I tell you what to do. And and I think that, that there's a ton of friction from a, you know, this is like geopolitically right now. Yes. Old school that, that's like, I almost feel like we took two steps back to like revive that to a new level. And then you have this, and, and it was in response to what you just said, which is level five leadership, which is humility, coming, being present, being conscious elevating everyone in the next level and everyone said whoa, whoa 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 i'm not ready for that fuck you we want to be told what to do you know and we want our data to be the data so I, i'm I so almost- glad you mentioned that because the whole reason i'm in organizations doing what i do with teams is it is that shift from dictatorship to democracy we are in a state in the world right now where authoritarianism and nationalism is on the rise if there are existential threats it's not just coronavirus. It's things like Russia and China and North Korea and maybe the Middle East still somewhere. But the superpowers, like that's very threatening. So it's not a little thing for a CEO to make the conscious choice to say, no, I want you to have freedom of speech. I want you to speak your truth to me. And I promise you I'm going to take it in and I'm going to say thank you. And we're going to get some team synergy going here because as Redalio would say, the best ideas have to win, idea meritocracy. And um, that, that's how living systems work. They push power down to where decisions are being made. They're, they're self-organizing in some sense. It's a far cry from the kind of leadership we're witnessing in the world these days. And it's so vital and important 
that we empower people to speak their truth. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here. And by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things. Pizza, pink unicorns, core values, and down dirty, interesting conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment. And you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end. And it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's DariusScale.com. And now back to the show. So, you know, you and I both obviously know and respect Grant Stegen. And, and, he, mm-hmm. and, he, and he had, you know, when I was in the program and you, you spent a lot of time, you know, being a leader and coach in that program. Right, the things, Rand, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things Rand would say is that, you know, we have level five problems and level three leaders right now. And so... There's an elevation that needs to happen. By the way, this is actually my my thought is is that, and this is where I get really juiced around the book I just wrote and around the, the work you're doing, is that I don't actually have a lot of trust that government's not going to get there. I think entrepreneurial enterprises are going to get there first, and then it's going to go viral into non-government, or it'll go viral into the public and into the governmental enterprises once the expectation is level five leadership. But I think that starts in the private enterprise and in um, entrepreneurial enterprises. And then I think that once, anyway, what do you think about that? I I think, I think businesses can and should model that connection between focusing on people and how it does help business perform more effectively. So I would add to that too, that hopefully schools and colleges and universities can teach people these skills of entrepreneurship and leadership and mindset. Why should this not be built in to our schooling? Um, and I think, again, if there are existential threats right now and there's people are feeling maybe a little fragile, that, that fragility can become anti-fragility. It's like we can grow. There's a silver lining here if we adopt a growth mindset and what might that be? Well, maybe it's causing, maybe this whole global pandemic and everything else is uh, arising so that the next level of leadership can be, can emerge. And so that we start to draw certain lines in the sand, certain boundaries about what it means to develop as a human being. We need to be taught how to think. We need to think about thinking. We need to learn how to reflect. The whole thing with core values is so ripe because it used to be the place of religion that you would have some kind of value set. Now, people now hear the word religion and they kind of cringe. Many people do. 
but they're confusing the structure of reflection with the content of the values. You don't have to have traditional values. It doesn't matter what your, what your values are, but it matters that you have them and you reflect on them. And more than that, that you ask other people to show you your blind spots, to be your mirror. Otherwise, again, that word character. Otherwise, we don't develop into mature leaders because it's the leader um, who gets the organization they deserve is another quote from Rand Stegen. So if you want to go vertical, get to the next level, upgrade your operating system. It has everything to do with the work of naming your core values and then looking in the mirror every day. That's how you, as Bruce Lee would say, ultimately all types of knowledge mean self-knowledge. You can craft yourself like an artist chisels away at a sculpture. You can improve your technique like a martial artist looks in the mirror over and over again and pressure tests the holes in their game. So this this is really what leadership development itself is about. Yeah, that's, oh man, you just like hit me in like right here. I just like, I'm going to say something in a second, but hey guys, listen, we are live streaming here. Uh, we had a question come in. I think we answered it kind of, but we can jump. We can ask. We'll ask it again. I'll, I'll, I want to make sure this question gets answered. Um, and if you guys have more questions, shoot them over. We're, we're going pretty deep down the rabbit hole of, of awareness, leadership, core values, geopolitical uh, uprisings and, and takedowns, and then some. So um, <clears throat> where should someone start with team building? Are there certain activities teams should be doing regularly to grow their synergy? Like, uh, I think we touched on the second question, but. Great question. I mean, I love to use Pat Lancioni's five dysfunctions of a team assessment. That's very affordable. Um, You can pre-post it. So just having an agile mindset, like it's sometimes referred to as a halo effect, just the act of putting your awareness on something and measuring it and then seeing what worked and what didn't, just the intention to be in relationship to improving it. If you focus on one thing, everything gets better. And that's the point is you're in that growth mindset or learner mindset about your teamwork. So you make it an initiative um, that's important to the team and to the company. So you're working on the team. You're not just working in the team. And that's another you know trillion dollar coach talks about Bill Campbell in Silicon yeah. Valley. That's one of his core, core principles. Speaking of values is work on the team, then in the team. Yeah. So that that would be one thing just to measure, but then just pick one thing that the team. So if it's trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, results, they give you what your lowest scoring areas are. Just look at them together once a week and talk about what's working and not working. And then you can pick some practices that help you move the needle. So, of course, it helps to have a, an outside coach help, help you do that. They would say even the best surgeons don't operate on themselves. So some leaders think they can just go run it with their team. And sometimes that's true, but oftentimes they're part of the the problem in a unique way as well. So it can help to have an outside perspective. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think, I think you got to find the the right coaching. Like for me, what I found is that I don't know what it is. You know, I have seven influence restraints on my top 17 restraints or my top 12. And so what ends up happening is I end up just kind of driving the bus a little bit. And, and so mm-hmm. I'm out. I don't like that. Right. Because, because my achiever is my number one strength. I'm like, no, I'm bringing a coach because I really want someone to like own it and push me. Right. So I, I think there is something around finding that, that right coach that's going to give you what you need, not what you want. <laughs> right. 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 And so, um, and, and, and so that I, I agree with you. I think that where some people maybe go wrong is they'll, 
they become friends with their coaches. It becomes much more like a friendly interaction. It's less of a coach or coach and mentee type of uh, mentor mentee relationship. And, and so I, I think that there is something around really getting honest with what your needs are and then, and then trying to, to screen for that. Because I think that I've rarely met someone that's like, yeah, I, I always meet up and say they'll do it. And then I'm like, look, I want you to be a hard ass on me. And then mm-hmm. become friends and they don't want to be hard ass on me because I'm, I'm likable. Right. So I do think that there's some bound that there's boundaries that need to get laid out front. And when you have that type of relationship, also, I, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs and people like some people are more coachable than other people, right? Some people. Yes, absolutely. Some people don't want to be coached. They just want to say they're being coached. Yeah. And there's a difference. Well, and this is where, again, the rubber meets the road. And it can be a step worse than that, which is that a CEO or HR would would be in that bucket as well, hires me to come in to fix their team. And we always joke that that's like dropping your kids off at the therapist because something's wrong with them. (laughs) When again, you know, you are the one who is implicated in the performance of your team. It's the mirror for you, for your leadership specifically. Right. which is why that Lencioni assessment is helpful. It's like, that's that's your feedback. That's yeah. your team performing that way. Um, so w- what can happen is really is important for me to have a deep committed relationship with whoever that CEO is because they need to start to engage in their own transformation and see the power of it and have other people start commenting like, wow, the CEO is showing up differently. What is he doing? And then you go in and say, all right, everyone who didn't, hire me or sign up for this, we're all going to do this thing together. Right. Because otherwise you end up um, getting like the CEO uses their team to vet you. And that never goes well. No, no. You need to have the CEO like being a very strong sponsor of something like that. And I really respect the people as you're talking about that would choose to, it's like in, in government, like I'm a check and balance on their executive power. That's what the coach is doing. It's like a judiciary in some sense. And, and in a way to see that the company is living its values. Yeah. So can I ask you a question? Um, mm-hmm. Because this is where, so I've, I've had this really like big awakening over the last couple of years on like how I'm showing up and what's important to me and being the core value person, really taking that, applying it to my own personal life. And when I talk to you, a lot of the times it comes from like, if I, t- and you've read my book, so, so this might be a, a good frame of, of where, where I, I see two things happening. I think as an organization, you need to define what you are and be authentic to what you are as a group, as an organization. And that is something that you have to get kind of married to know it, live it, announce it and like be it. Right. And then you apply everyone's personal values against that because that's like, I don't care what I say, Nathaniel, you're going to, you have your values and Darius has his values and like, they are what they are. And, And yes, there's some, room for them changing and adjusting. Uh, that's something that through our previous conversations, I've actually gotten pretty comfortable right. with yeah. the whole spiral dynamic stuff yeah. that, that maybe I haven't learned enough of who I am and, and, or I haven't, I've been hiding a certain part of myself or there, and there's the shadows that get in the way of me really owning what I am or who I am. And that's maybe an evolutionary process, but regardless of that, whether I am who I am today or I change a bit or I change a lot, an organization, I don't think has that same malleability where like, I think an organization has got to own what they are and like, that's what they are and they got to stick to it. And in very rare instances that might adjust, but, but it shouldn't. And so when you start to see the team applying their values against the company values, 
how does one, whether you're on the, the side of the fence of being the leader, bringing people into the organization to make sure that they're a fit, or you're a person joining an organization, making sure you're a fit, how do you kind of reconcile those two things? Yeah. Well, I think there's something very mature, very adult about just offering what your values are and saying it. And then knowing that someone across the table from you, whether you're hiring them or being hired, that you can compare and see where you're aligned. Because if you're not aligned, you made some great points about that. You, know, you think about the NFL, like super competitive culture, Shark Tank. You know, you better know that that's the kind of values that you hold if you're going to go work there versus somewhere else that's more love and caring and customer service kind of core values. So it's it's more about alignment. Um, now, I think where I'd push on that a little bit is, yes, they, they ought to stay the same unless the business is failing or a culture transformation is required. So I think the word transformation is the place where if you want to transform a culture, actually do look to its core values and the team that holds those values. First of all, that those values are that particular team's core values that they own, own it. But that if they don't, or if there's a change that needs to be had, that working with the values is a way to um, accomplish that culture transformation. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I've become more open to this. I'm still like, no, <laughs> I'm, uh, because, because I, 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 would, I would push back and say, well, if the failure could be that there, it depends on why they're failing, right? So if I said, well, they're failing because they've actually compromised those values or they brought in private equity that's completely put them at odds with their values, then I would say that, yeah, maybe there does need to be a transformation because that's an immovable object, right? But I would, I would argue, say, well, you kind of fucked up by bringing these guys in that didn't align with you to begin with. Now you're paying the price for it. And yeah, yeah. You, do, you have to make a change, but you shouldn't have brought them in to begin with. You should have brought somebody else in who was more aligned. Um, well, those are the two choices is uh, if there's a gap between your walk and your talk, you either need to close the gap in, in a lot of ways or you change what your talk is. You change the value. Interesting. So yeah. that and it's always interesting when there is a gap. Why? Right. Why am I, like, I not walking my talk? <laughs> so I like to simplify it because I'm like, I'm like, I think we're like at like level 10 talking about this. And most people are like level zero. And so I think that, that an evolved organization can have this conversation. But I think most organizations are coming at literally at ground zero where they've like hung up some words on the wall that really aren't who they are or aren't or some mediocre version of what they really are. And so to your point though, let, let's say that let's say that those core values are the right values and they really are. Mm -hmm. When is it your practice to say, okay, we, since we've defined what we are, and since we're married to that, we we're 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 not saying that they're those are the wrong talk, but we want to make sure we're walking the right walk. When we're bringing in leaders, or when we are bringing, or when we are scaling the organization, knowing that we'll use the example of, of, of that you said earlier, and like the way I say, the like let's say uh, being on time, I call that respect, and you call that efficient, right? Mm -hmm. and, and let's say the core value of the company is being bold. I'm picking a, a, a random one. A lot of the times. We got to see eye to eye, right? You and I got to be able to speak the same language because I say core values are the language of the organization. This is this is where this is where this entire movement around neurolinguistic programming and how you get people's behaviors to attach to the words they're saying and and, and how yeah. they're reflecting off that, right? So when when you want to maximize the performance of leaders and you give them the language of values and you're testing them against those language of values, how is it that you bridge that gap? Right. When I said use the word reconcile before, it's like I got someone who's all about efficiency. 
I'm all about, you know, respect and boldness is our is our value. And we're looking at that together. Is this just simply people having authentic and transparent conversations about how those connect? Is that the answer? Or is there other things that you do in the practice that really can elevate to get people to, to connect on these values? Yeah, I'll speak to it in, uh, conceptually and then like nuts and bolts level one. So we come down from, from 10. Um, the first thing is, yes, I would agree with you that it is about having conversations that include the values. Um, and the second thing I'd say is, where do you do that? When do you do that in your organization? The point of having in-house coaching is there is a time and place every week where the team gathers and you start by kind of getting centered and checking in and then you go to feedback and it starts with catch someone doing something right. Like actually name the core value, tie it into the feedback. And then if you have constructive feedback to give each other tensions that you otherwise walk out of the room with and go to the water cooler to talk about the person instead of to them in that meeting. Well, when you exchange that feedback, again, you're upset about something because there's a value that isn't being met. So use the values in the conversation. Now, if there's a fundamental misalignment around core values, then I think that could be one of two things too. You mentioned this in your book also. The values could be doing their job and someone's glowing in the dark. And so you know now you know who not to hire. And that sometimes they'll self-select out. Values are like sentinels. It, they'll, they'll kind of stand guard and the people who are allowed in will come in and the other ones will get ejected out. So it creates this powerful momentum of like attraction and drawing people in. Um, and that's also where the war on talent is one, which I think you make that point as well. Yeah, it's, it's I, I don't want to overuse the word enlightening, but I think the minute people really get attuned into the power of this stuff, it's like, you can't go back. Like, I don't even know how to, I, I, would, I, I wrote this to an email to someone the other day. I said, I don't even know how to run a business without, I don't know how to do, I almost don't know how to live without this at this point. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, it's troublesome because like I said, I'm going through this pretty big awakening right now. And, and there's, and then when you start to talk about shadow work, which we didn't even have a chance to get into, that's going to be for the next time you're on the show. But we start to like, you start to realize that, like, I'm going to use myself as an example. I lie to myself. I, I'm, a, we had a great guest on the show this morning and the word nihilism came up. I'm a fucking full-blown nihilist when it comes to my mm-hmm. behavior to myself. And although I have these great practices around leveraging values and understanding my strengths, you, I mean, dude, I am a freaking walking self-actualization checklist, right? Like, <laughs> what do you do if you want to self-actualize? Go down yeah. the checklist of the shit that Darius is doing. And it's like, I'm doing everything and, and then some. But you still fall into these human behaviors of self-doubt, of beating the shit out of ourselves, telling ourselves we're not capable, lying yeah, sh- to ourselves. Shitting all over yourself, yeah. Just shitting all over yourself. When the reality is, is that's there to, to try to protect you yeah. from, from disappointment, failure. Maybe it's old trauma that just is there to just fuck with you, whatever those reasons are. And there's all, there's a whole laundry list of reasons why those things exist. But the funny thing is, is with awareness comes choice, as as we were saying earlier. in the the Yes. Uh, Important mantra. Yeah. No awareness, no choice. You just repeat the past. 
Yeah. So, so now, so this has been happening to me a lot lately because I've been all in on, on my book and I'm all in on this future, like building the future of business through the work with values. And even the show's part of this. And I'm like, I really want this to become something important and I want this to scale. And, and then, and then the voice on my head's like, you're not going to be able to do this motherfucker. And then, I, but, but what's funny is the awareness piece is this, and I'm kind of giving I'm monopolizing the conversation for a second. So I apologize. The awareness is, is my values say different, right? Mm-hmm. And the fear is the fear of living up to my values. And, 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 and so the safety blanket I'm finding now is that I, when I start to do this, I know I'm lying to myself. I know I'm trying to sabotage myself and I know I need to double down on my values. And that's the saving grace that I think that when you get that clarity, it's not that it fixes it. It gives you some momentum and direction by which to move to. And that's why I like that. It, like it in organizations. So the reason I say all that is when you hear this or when you see how organizations do this or your or the executives who you're working with or the, the, the people you're coaching, you're trying to elevate because I do think honestly, getting to flow and getting to these states of like high performance is really around removing all the roadblocks and getting all the shit out of the way. So you can just move faster yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and get velocity and traction and momentum around the things you care about. Right. And then that becomes magnetic and it starts drawing people to you that care about what you care about. Right. So when you see the work you're doing or what I'm talking about right now, what is like your number one piece of advice to like some of the stuff I'm saying or how you're applying this type of work with people that, that you're working with? Yeah, I relate to it a lot. So the approach that we use is based on Robert Keegan at Harvard, and it's the deliberately developmental organization. The book was an everyone culture becoming a DDO. Ray Dalio's company, Bridgewater, was one of the companies they profiled. So which companies are deliberate in their development of people? Um, And of all the companies they kind of surveyed, they just picked three to study. And The reason I mentioned that is that's kind of the textbook for the work that we do because we want to be deliberate in our development of people through our in-house coaching programs and specifically with peer coaching so that everyone's developing skill as a coach. So it's a a culture of coaching in that sense, which is the same thing on the mat in martial arts. Everyone gives and receives technique so that the whole whole space is cultivating um, skill in martial arts. But to come back for a minute to Um, The behaviors we do to sabotage our values, we can only apply willpower and effort so much to what we say is important to us. So if I say I value, you know, health and then I'm not eating right or exercising, again, you can try to just have your coach ask you what you're going to do differently next week. Um, But willpower runs out and there's data that says like only one in seven people who have had a heart attack and are told by their doctor, you will die if you don't change your habits, will actually change their habits. So surely it's not for lack of wanting to save your own life. But there's this whole other thing, which is um, underneath the surface, which is what we call a competing commitment. And so I could say I value health. And then I noticed that I completely am committed to doing something else. And it goes into the assumptions that we hold. It's almost like the opposite of our, our values are holding this rubber band taut. We're trying to run this way, but something else is holding it in place. And it's based upon some assumption or limiting belief about what's going to happen if I change, because change is scary sometimes. So in a DDO, um, the whole point is we don't cover up our weaknesses. 
We don't pretend like we don't have blind spots. We don't pretend like we don't have limiting beliefs. We actually declare what they are as a team, which requires a certain amount of trust and intimacy. And then we put it on the wall. And when someone, when there's a breakdown, we don't go to kind of punishing, like punishments and rewards. We, we get curious and it's like, as I joke, your punishment for a breakdown is more coaching. So it becomes an opportunity to uncover where a person is actually stuck psychologically so they can unlock themselves and then show up in, in alignment with their values. And unless or until you do that kind of uncovering or shadow work, um, you're going to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results and not know why it's happening either. So to create that the kind of conditions in an organization like that for learning and growth. Oh, man, dude, you rock. Seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, we're at the top of the hour here. Any 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 parting ideas or words or anything that we didn't get to touch on that you want, want to share with, with the audience? Yeah, just with the virtual environment we're in right now, um, take this opportunity to huddle daily and reflect and connect on your values. Um, and then secondly, try out peer coaching. It's a way to scale coaching. Everyone has a coach because everyone is a coach with that approach. Um, and if I can support you with that or Darius with getting forum running, just let us know. And um, it moves quickly. It really does. And it's very fulfilling to practice together. I think that's what you and I know as wrestlers. It's like, those are the people you are closest to oh, yeah. is because there's support and challenge and like that, that kind of practicing together, the kind of tribe it's irreplaceable. It builds something really special band of brothers and sisters. So, um, yeah, a little practice goes a long way. Yeah, that's awesome. So where can people find you? Yeah. Thepalaistra.com T H E P A L A E S T R A. And you can kind of the website functions as a kind of mini white paper. So you can check us out there. Um, and then if you are a senior leader, we have the awakening leadership forum which is, uh, you know, you peers and really engaging a very committed journey of personal awakening and, and leadership development and, and harnessing the, uh, that band of brothers kind of feel the forum relationship, the circle, iron sharpens iron to um, engage that journey together. Very cool. So forum 2.0, we, we, as we, you and I talked about it when we first met. Yeah, that's awesome. Guys, look, check out um, what Nathaniel's doing. Uh, we'll put that in the comments or the your the websites that you just mentioned. Um, my team will make sure, I'll make sure that that gets in there. Um, so please guys, check it out. Um, I've gotten the pleasure of doing some coaching work with Nathaniel and, and there's a reason why this show just ran an hour and I blinked. It was, it's like- Has it been, been an hour? Yeah, 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 we've been over an wow. hour, man. This is like one of the longest shows I've done and it didn't feel that way. And it never does because I mean, I think last time we were on the phone for two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and it, you know, this just kind of shows the, the depth that you tend to take people to, man. And it's, it's a testament to the type of work that people need. So I'm, I'm really, I'm, dude, I'm so grateful to have you on the show. Yeah, Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'll say it once to say it a thousand times. My favorite part about doing the show is I get to sit here and learn. Like I have notes. I, I try to take too many notes because I'm trying to like be focused on the show. But um, my favorite part is that I'm going to get to go back and watch the show and, and <laughs> take, and that's when I really do my notes is after the fact. Um, but, but thank you so much for all your, your tools of wisdom and, and for all the work you're doing, man. It's really, I, I think this is the most important work that needs to be happening in the world right now. 
And it's really makes me feel good to know that there's people out there like you doing it. So thank you for that. Thank you so much, Jarius. Your book is really a gift to the world. So uh, may it scale uh, to your heart's content. Thank you, my friend. So guys, uh, at The Real Darius M on Facebook or go to www.therealdarius.com to sign up for all my social stuff. And yeah, we're just keeping this rolling. And like I said, Nathaniel, it's been such a pleasure, brother. Thank you. It's a real pleasure, brother. Thank you so much. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from and leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and you will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.